last week, the chosen couple. We looked at Mary and Joseph and how God can select folks and often selects folks from backgrounds and cultures and even own personal experiences that when we looked at those folks, we would say there is no way that God is going to use them to do anything. But God uses the weak and the foolish to confound the wise. And so I hope that if you were here last week, you were encouraged that no matter who you think you are or how little you think of yourself, God is able to do great things through you if you will submit to Him. So today, I want to look at another couple of characters in the Christmas story and try to bring out something maybe a little bit different for us as far as application of this text. So in Luke chapter 2, I've titled this message, The Startled Shepherds. And so we've, we've sung about them in Christmas carols, and you've heard about them in the Christmas story. But I hope that we can take a look at their lives today and try to draw some encouragement, some help for us today. So we're going to get right into the text this morning, Luke chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 8 and go down to verse 20, and I won't read that or have you stand this morning because we're just going to kind of cover it as we go. But I want you to notice something in the first two verses there, verses 9 and 10, um, that jumped out at me this week because I felt like I could relate to it so much. And I think that you'll be able to on some level too. It says, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. So an average, routine, run-of-the-mill evening. Nothing spectacular going on. They've done this a million times before. And life is often like that for us, isn't it? We are just in the middle of a routine, a mundane kind of thing. And we sometimes almost wonder where God is or we don't see God involved in the just the small minuscule things but all of a sudden they're out there doing their duties and it says an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and, and notice the response and I don't think we can fault them here because I don't think there's anybody in this room that wouldn't have reacted in the same way but God appears the angel of the Lord appears to them and they were filled with fear. Some translations say they had a great fear, even a terror enveloped them when this happens. But then notice the immediate response in verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people this day. They see the angel of the Lord and are filled with a great fear. And the first words of the angel to them in response is, Fear not. And I thought about that a lot this week, because if we're honest, isn't that really the pattern in the dialogue of our lives with God a lot of the time? He calls us to do something, we encounter a situation, and our default response is fear. And along comes God, or through the Holy Spirit ministering to us, saying, Fear not. And it's a constant struggle between what our emotions and our flesh are experiencing and feeling in the moment versus the faith that God wants us to have to fear not. And I don't know about you, but that is a struggle for me. There are many times, including the very call to be up here doing this, where I was scared out of my mind. And still am, if I'm honest, maybe for different reasons now. But nonetheless, when God calls you to do things for Him, it can be fearful. When God shows up in your life at unexpected times, it can bring a little bit of fear into your life. 
But yet he is saying the same thing over and over to us today. Fear not. I'm bringing you good news that will give you great joy. But how do we overcome that? Because fear is such a strong emotion. And so we're feeling one way, but yet the Spirit is calling us to operate and live a different way. Well, I thought about fear in my own life and fear over the years as I've counseled people and talked to people that have battled with it. And and I don't want to try to deduce this down to some little neat box that we can put everybody into. But I think there are probably three areas that I've seen where fear can really gain a stronghold in your life and can really cause havoc. And and I want to try to just briefly mention these because maybe it'll help you you if you can recognize the enemy sometimes, it's a little bit easier to know how to go to war with him, okay? So... Fear will often paralyze us. Fear will keep us from operating in faith and doing the things that God wants us to do in our life. Or circumstances can cripple us because we're so afraid of what's going on and what's going to happen and when will it end and all these what-if thoughts that we can't move past it. We can't get beyond it. So let me give you these three real quick. Number one, I believe that fear gains a stronghold in our lives because it gives us an illusion that we are in control. If, if I worry about something, if I constantly dwell on something, if I'm fearful about something, and I'm not letting go of it, there is this illusion in our minds, see them subconsciously, that we somehow still have a little bit of control. As long as I'm able to manage this thing, and sometimes we manage it through those fearful thoughts. Well, as long as I'm concerned about it, as long as I'm thinking about it, as long as I'm dwelling on it, I have some control over this thing. And that's, that's not the truth. All it's doing is manipulating you to never be able to move beyond it. But we want to have control of our lives. When we let go of that thing and surrender and say, here, Lord, it's yours. There is a freedom that comes from that, guys. There is a liberation that comes from that. But like anything else, the way to get beyond fear, the only way to get beyond it is to face it. And it's often that first step of letting go that is the absolute hardest one to take. But I promise you this morning, if there is an area in your life where you are scared to death to trust God, if you will come and fall on your face this morning and say, God, He already knows the struggle. He knows the fear. And if you'll just say and be honest with Him, Lord, I need You to lift this fear off me and help me to trust. Help me to have faith. Help me to let go and give this to You. Because let's be honest, guys, He does a much better job of controlling things than we do. He is ultimately the one that is in control of life. Not us. And the sooner we recognize that, yes, the fear may still be there, but as you let go and see His hand at work in your life, I promise you, I promise you, it will get easier and it will get better for you when you let go. So that's one. And number two, the thing that makes fear so powerful is because it dwells up here. And I thought about it a lot because the mind is so powerful. And we live in these temporary bodies that are limited by time and space, We can't go and be, sometimes we wish we could, but we can't be in ten places at once. We can't do a hundred things at once. But you know what? Our minds will try to. Our minds will try to go 15 places and do 30 things. And social media and technology hasn't helped because we never turn off. Right? So our minds are this computer and we got like 15 browsers open up there are open at once. You know, and it's overloaded on us. But our mind tries to go places constantly. And I've found for myself and for folks that I've talked to 
The mind primarily goes one of two places, or two directions maybe. It dwells on memories, and it dwells on imagination. And so often, those things which can be good become fear, sources of fear in our lives. We dwell on the past. We can't move beyond the past. We fear and fret over decisions we've made in the past. Or we're constantly worried about tomorrow. We're thinking about what ifs all the time and wondering what's going to happen next and trying to figure it out. And our minds are the battleground where the enemy is keeping us from operating in faith. So we have got to have our minds transformed. It's not just enough for us to say, well, I'm going to make up my mind today and I'm not going to give in to that anymore. That just won't work. It just won't work. I mean, that may be a step that you need to take to make a resolution and recognize it, but it's going to take more than just a determination on your part. You're going to have to saturate your mind with something better. It's not enough to just remove negative thoughts. They'll move right back in. You can sweep it up like Jesus talked about, cleaning up the house and the devil went out, and then come back with seven more buddies. Fear does the same thing. It'll come back stronger than ever. You can't just dust the thing up a little bit. You have got to move in someone else. And you've got to move the Word of God and the promises of God and the hope of the Word of God into your life so that it's more powerful in your life than those negative thoughts that will come into your life. And the last one is that I found fear will take a hold of us with. By default, guys, all of us sway towards the negative in our lives and in, in life in general. It's very easy for all of us to become negative constantly. And what follows with negativity is complaining, bitterness, fear, doubt, and everything else. That doesn't mean that we don't recognize that life can deal us a difficult hand sometimes. I'm not saying that we should never have, we never have situations that aren't tough. We can't control that. But we can control our response. You are absolutely in control of your response. Stuff may come into your life that you didn't ask for. But you don't have to react to it in an ungodly, unbiblical, negative way. But again, our default response will be towards that negativity. And if you find yourself being overly negative all the time, if you never can see any good, I would encourage you to genuinely begin to pray that God would change your outlook and your attitude in life. Old Mays Jackson, an independent Baptist preacher from years ago, uh, gone on to be with the Lord now, but he would say all the time, and I've never forgot him saying this, he would say, we have more to shout about than we do to pout about. And that's really true. We really do have so many blessings, but we need to be on guard against that negativity that comes into our life. And let that fear subside as we trust the Lord. So, as I thought about that with fear and how crippling it can be, we can't control the circumstances that come into our life. When God calls us to do things, at times, especially if it's a, what we would consider a big task, I would say that anything done for the Lord is a big task, a big deal. But sometimes He calls us to things that are so beyond us, so far beyond our abilities, that it is really, really daunting. It is really intimidating. And our fears will rise up in us. I want to read to you Isaiah 41.10, just the beginning of that verse. What does it say there? 
Fear not. So let's stop for a minute. There's those two words again that we see over and over and over again in the Bible. But notice what follows the words fear not. For I am with you. Okay, so let's take that. Fear not. Okay, God. How do I not fear? God says, fear not, for I am with you. Now think about this. The shepherds are out in the field, minding their business, doing their job. All of a sudden, here appears the angel of the Lord, and they are terrified. And the angel says, fear not, because we're bringing a message of good news that comes with great joy. But I think that there is even more that we can glean from that message of fear not. If we look in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 1.23, what is the message there that is given? Matthew 1.23 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So we know that this is Mary giving birth to Jesus. And they will call His name Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. What did Isaiah say? Fear not, I am with you. Emmanuel means God is with us. The promise of Scripture over and over, guys, is not that we will never face fear, but that we will never face fear alone. We have someone with us to help us, to bring us through those times. Often, I believe Christians think that they ought to be able to get to a place where fear is never again an obstacle. Please come and share if you've figured that one out. Because I don't have an answer for that. Fear is a healthy emotion. Fear isn't always a bad thing. Fear keeps us oftentimes out of trouble and out of danger. But fear oftentimes, like with anything in life, becomes irrational. And it goes in a direction it's not intended to go. And when it causes us to deviate from God's Word or deviate from faith, it's taken us in the wrong direction. But the message this morning from the angel to the shepherds and to us is that we shouldn't fear ultimately because of who is in us and with us. So notice the message that they get from the angel. It says in verse 11 as he speaks to them, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The Messiah, the long-awaited Jesus. That's who this is. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Don't just gloss over those words that were delivered 2,000 years ago that still apply to us today. I want you to think about this. If that message is true, and I hope you believe it with all your heart today, that there was a Savior born to a virgin 2,000 years ago that was laid in a manger that grew up and would go to that cross as the sinless sacrifice for all of us, that He would lay down His life shed His blood for the remission of sins, that He would be placed in a borrowed tomb for three days and rise again on that third day, declaring victory, being seen by over 500 people, 
and ascending back to the Father. And the angel's promise was, the one that went up will return in like manner. We're waiting on Him to come back. If that message today is true, then I want to tell you that fear is powerless. I didn't say fear was non-existent, but I said that fear in our lives is powerless to truly harm us. The greatest enemy that we would ever face is death. And Jesus has defeated that enemy for us. Sin, which is the wages of sin, is death. Sin has been forever taken care of in the life of a believer. We will never again be condemned or held guilty for the penalty of sin that was born on the back of Jesus on that cross. Fear in our lives is powerless. But why do we then still struggle so bad to live a life of faith when fear seems still so strong in our lives? Think about ultimately why Jesus came. Why did Jesus come versus what we see so much taught and preached today in many modern churches? We have reduced Jesus down to just some genie, if you will. That He is simply there to give us comforts, to meet our needs, to provide for everything we want. And oftentimes, we don't get things the way that we would like them to come or when we would like them to come. And then we start to try to figure it out on our own. Well, God, you're obviously out to lunch. Or, I don't know what's going on here, but you haven't answered. I've prayed, so I'm going to have to figure this thing out myself. And we set out to try to make our own way and make our own path. But I want to challenge you. Is that really and ultimately why Jesus came? Did Jesus ultimately come for our comfort? Did Jesus ultimately come to provide for our every earthly want and wish and whim? No. But we have that idea, especially in this, in this country and culture, that comfort is the ultimate sign of success. That things make the man or the women. The more that we can accumulate shows that we are successful. And that flies in opposition to what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom. And to be kingdom workers for Christ. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. The angels declared to the shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. It wasn't a politician. It wasn't a teacher. It wasn't some, just some moral good person. It was a Savior because that was their need and our need. God sends a Savior and that person was Jesus. Not only did He say, I've come to seek and save that which was lost, He also said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself so that where I am, you may also be. He came, He went, and He's coming again. But the mission has never changed. The mission has always been to reconcile sinners to a holy God. And that can only happen through the blood of Jesus Christ. Through faith in Him alone. But in the meantime, in this period from His ascension to His second coming, He has left us, 
His people, His church, to be His ambassadors. We preached about this a few weeks ago. His representatives on earth. If we want to see God active in our communities, in our homes, in our families, then it is up to us to be the vessels through which the Holy Spirit operates. The reason why we don't see things happening in our world and our communities today is because the church has become so impotent in doing the things that God has called us to do. And fear is one of the driving forces that holds us back. Oh, we could do this if we only had more people. If we only had more money. If we only had this. If we only... Let me ask you this. If we really needed those things and God wanted us and has sent us on mission to do what He's commanded us to do in His Word, would He withhold those things from us if we honestly needed them? No. He's given us the Spirit of God. He's given us the Word of God. And He's given us a mission from God. That's enough. He took 12 guys with no education, no backgrounds, very little resources, and they turned the world upside down. You're telling me a church of 180 to 100 people can't make a difference in Hamilton, Ohio? We can. We can. Absolutely we can. The question is, will we? Or will we let fear and excuses and doubts continue to hold us back? No one person can do everything, but we can all do our part. And if we all do our part as members together, we can truly be the light that Jesus has called His church to be. Do we believe this? That is the real question. Do we really believe the message that the angels announced that day and continue to announce to us through the Word of God? Do we really believe that a Savior was born, that a Savior has paid the price for our sins, and that the Holy Spirit of God lives within us? Do we really believe that enough to act on it? It's easy to amen and clap and say, yes, I do, in here. But do we believe it enough to go out there Monday through Saturday and become fools in the eyes of the world for Christ? To speak without fear. To live without fear. To not fear man. To not fear what anybody will say to us. But to fear God alone. And to walk in His ways and in His Word. Do we trust Him enough? Psalm 37.5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust Him. And He will act. Notice the order. There's a commitment. There's a trust. And then there's a movement. But you'll never get it backwards. And so often we say, Well, God, if you'll just do this and do that first, then I'll trust you. That's not how faith works. You have to take the step. If you want to walk on the water, you've got to get out of the boat first. That's the only way it will happen. You have got to trust God. And as long as you allow fear to control you, you will never ever move in faith. So let's go on in our story and look. Because it's interesting, they have this initial response, which we all do, I believe. When God calls us, when circumstances come, fear is the default. But we've got to face it head on. We've got to face fear biblically. And these shepherds do. Look with me at verses 15 through 18. When the angels went away, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, so now the, the, the initial shock and awe is over, and now they're going to try to reason with themselves about what just happened. The shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went, notice, 
They went with haste. They didn't, they didn't take a year to figure it out. They didn't get a committee together and try to, 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 try to decipher things. They said, God has spoken. Let's go. Let's go. When God speaks, He's given you the information you need. It's time to move. It says, They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherd had told them. They were fearful at first. But after they thought about it, they said, we are going to act on what we have just been told. The angel said, this is good news of great joy. And you will find this Christ wrapped up and lying in a manger in swaddling clothes. And they said, okay, that's what they've said. We are going to act on it. When you read or hear the Word of God, is that enough to move your feet? So often we're waiting for a sign. God, just show me. God, just prompt me. God, just do this. He's given you it right here. This is what He wants you to obey. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We walk by faith and not by sight. Over and over again, we are trying to say, God, just show me. God, just do this. God, just do that. And it is ultimately fear because we're not trusting Him enough to just obey the Word. we got to see it. we got to touch it. We're like Thomas. Unless I touch Him, put my hands in His wounds, I will not believe. And Jesus said, blessed are those that believe without seeing. You see, we have got to get to a place where we will just trust God at His Word. Because if this isn't true, guys, this is a monumental waste of time. What we're doing here today is absolutely full. I've wasted a lot of my life. But this would be the biggest waste of time if it wasn't true. We're gathered here today as a community of faith because we have met this Jesus. We have been touched by this Jesus. We have been changed by this Jesus. And we'll never be the same. And so... Anything that we do for Him will never be a waste of time. All the other stuff now becomes a monumental waste of time. And I'm not saying that you should never do anything to live life and enjoy yourselves. But in the big picture and priority wise, this will always trump anything else. Because I know the message and the messenger to be true. And so I want to do everything I can to serve Him. But... Faith is something that we have to exercise continually, guys. It's not a magic pill. I wish that there was just something that we could do, and boom, faith was always present. But faith, one person said faith is like a muscle. You have to exercise it regularly to build it and to grow it. And that is true. The more you trust God and take Him at His Word, the more you will see Him move in your life. I can promise you that. But you have got to do it to see it happen. I was reading... Uh, a story this week about, about, I was trying to get a picture up on the screen of this to show you, but it's called the African Impala. It looks, it looks basically like a deer with weird horns. They're like kind of all curled out and, and funky looking. But I was reading about this thing. It can jump 10 feet high and 30 feet out. But when they keep it in a zoo or in an enclosure, they can have a three foot fence. 
and that thing will not jump out. Because they have found that it will only jump when it can see where it will land. And so it could easily go over that fence and be free. But because it can't see what's ahead, it remains captive. And I thought, man, what an illustration that is of what fear does to us. Instead of trusting God with the next step, we say, I'm not going to move until I know the whole story. And God has something great just up ahead, but we stay back here in our safe, safe spot because we won't trust Him. And we miss out on the blessings and on the purpose that God has for our life. Don't allow fear to hold you back from ultimately doing the thing or things that God wants to use you to do. He can find somebody else and He will. But He wants to use you. He made you and formed you and equipped you. You are unique. There's nobody else like you. And God wants to do something in your life. It's easy to say, well, someone else will take care of it. Someone else will do that. But what about you? What about you? What does God want to do in your life? I want you to see something else. Because this isn't just about us. Notice in verse 19 something else that happened there. As the shepherds were talking about this and they had made their way to see this child, even in verse 18 we see it, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Verse 19 says, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. When you move beyond fear and exercise faith and trust God, other people are watching you. Other people are observing your life. Are you just all talk? Or do people see you acting on your faith? Do they see you living out this message that you claim to treasure and believe so much? Because if you believe it, you have got to act on it. And if you act on it, people are going to take notice. They're going to see something different in your life. And I can tell you over time as the Spirit works on them, they're going to want what you have. If you show them joy and peace and hope, there ain't anything I've found out there that will give you that permanently. But everybody wants it. People pay a lot of money to try to get just a little taste of it. What we have was paid for on Calvary's cross. It didn't cost us anything. It cost the Son of God His life. And we receive it by faith. And if the world sees that in you, they're going to want that. I can promise you. Maybe not at first. But if you live it out consistently, they're going to want it. Charles Spurgeon said, The Bible, the Bible is not the light of the world. Think about that for a minute. The Bible is not the light of the world. It is the light of the church. He says, But the world does not read the Bible. The world reads Christians because you are the light of the world. Think about that. We are the light of the world. We live out our faith. We may never get them when they're lost to open this up and read it. But we can proclaim it and then they can watch us live it. And it will make a difference. But as long as fear holds you back, you will never operate the way that God wants you to operate. 
But you can today. You can. That's my encouragement to you. Don't listen to the lie anymore. I can't. I shouldn't. What if? You have got to trust Him. And that's what they did. They said, we're going to go. We've heard this message. We're going to go. And they found Him just like His Word promised. When you take God at His Word, you will find Him to be just as He promised. I can guarantee you, if He's promised it in this book, it cannot fail. It will come to pass. And notice the result, and I'm done. Verse 20. And the shepherds returned. Look at the change. They were glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. They were magnifying His name. And the word praise literally means to sing songs of rejoicing. They were, they were having church out in the field. They had seen the promises of God come true before their very eyes. They were greatly afraid when this story started. Now, they've been in the very presence of this Savior. And they went away glorifying, singing, and rejoicing over the One whose faith they had placed in Him. They had placed that faith in Him. So I want to close with two Scriptures. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. That is the seriousness of this subject today. You may externally do a lot of things for God, but if it isn't mixed with faith, there's two things the Bible talks about that we have to have when we serve. Faith and love. If either of those ingredients are missing, our efforts are in vain. So no matter what you do for God today, if you can't honestly say, I'm doing it out of a heart of love and an act of obedient faith, you've got to come and get that figured out first. You've got to come and surrender your life to God and say, give me the love that Jesus has for His church, for the lost, for whoever I encounter in my life. I need that kind of love. And I need faith enough to trust Jesus. doesn't have to be a great faith. It can be mustard seed sized faith. But a faith enough to move your feet. Because without it, it's impossible to please Him. There was a story of a tightrope walker, a world-renowned tightrope walker, do all kinds of crazy stunts, walking that little rope. And one day they stretched it across these two towering skyscrapers. And he was going to walk in between these skyscrapers on this tightrope with no safety nets, no nothing. And there was crowds of people down there watching. There was reporters uh, all around interviewing him. And he asked one of the reporters, he said, do you really believe that I can do this? And they said, absolutely. We've seen you do it before. We trust that you can do it. He said, well, I'm going to try to make this even more challenging. Not only am I just going to walk across the rope, I'm going to push a wheelbarrow across the rope. Do you think I can do that? The reporter said, absolutely. I know you can do it. I trust you. I have faith in you. He said, great. I'm going to have you get in the wheelbarrow. You think that changed things a little bit for the reporter? You see, sometimes it's easy to say, yes, I believe George and Melody can do that. I believe Chris can do that. I believe Jeff and Sandra can do that. But when it hits home, all of a sudden, we find out we might not believe as much as we thought we did. But faith is taking God at His Word. And it's trusting Him in your life. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. 
I believe that God has set a table for His people. And He calls us to taste and see that the Lord is good. But you've got to show up and eat to find out whether or not that is truly the case. And I think a lot of Christians like to sit around the table and talk, but they never taste. And so they never see how good God is. Because you have been held back too long by your doubts and by your fears. And I want to challenge us today through this message to see that the shepherds give us an example of what it looks like. That fear is going to come into our lives. And they could have easily ran off and hid. They could have stayed out there and just shook and and, and not moved and never went and saw the Christ child. But they didn't. They acted on the message and they were blessed beyond measure because of it. Just like you and I will be today. I want to ask you, I'm going to invite Phyllis to come. She's going to lead us in our invitation hymn today. And I want to ask you, point blank, have you ever truly placed real faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? I'm not just talking about coming to church. I'm not talking about knowing the story so that you could repeat it if somebody asked. I'm talking about have you ever in your life truly turned from your sin and your wicked ways and said, Lord, I need you to save me. I need you to come into my life And cause me to be born again. I can't do this on my own. The Bible declares that no one can make it to heaven without Jesus Christ. Have you ever done that for yourself? Not your wife, not your husband, not mom and dad, not your kids. Have you done it? Have you done it? If not, today is the day where you can come and receive Jesus. And if you've done that and you are a follower of Him, let me ask you. What is it that God wants of your life? What is your purpose? What is your call? What is your ministry? You say, I don't know. Well, I can tell you that God wants to use you. And you may not know the specific details of everything, but He's called everyone in this room that's a believer to be a missionary. He said, go and make disciples. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So there's your job. There's a job for you to do. Who are you sharing Jesus with? Who are you witnessing to? Who are you working on? Who are you discipling? Who are you mentoring? If there's these young people that that need help, are you investing in them? There is enough alone to keep you busy the rest of your life. But are you letting fear and doubts and excuses keep you back from listening to the Word of God? Only you can answer that question. But when we sing this song of invitation, the altar is going to be open. And you can come today and lay your heart bare before the Lord and get the answer that you need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have, the truth that we have, the spirit that lives within us. And God, I pray today that those that are struggling with doubts and fears uh, and anxieties, excuses, Lord, that you would strip all that away today and just help them to trust you. Help them to see how good you are, how faithful you are, and that if they will just step out in obedience to whatever that call is, that God, you're going to do something in their life. You are going to use them to do something great for your kingdom. And Lord, I just pray that this church would operate in faith. That we would would trust you with big things, Lord. Not just the little, but the big things that only you can do. So you'll get the glory for it, God. That souls will be saved, that lives will be changed, and that this church will be the vessel and the instrument that sees that happen, Lord. I know it can. I'm trusting that it will. But Lord, I want to see everyone in this body agreeing with that and coming alongside of that. And Lord, I pray that you'll work in their hearts today to help them to walk in faith and to trust you with all things. In Jesus' name, amen. As we